You are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Good morning. This is Katrina Kirkaby, and I'm here with Tina Spindler. We are Master Gardeners with the UCC Master Gardeners of Orange County. Welcome, Tina. Thanks, Katrina. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about what's going on in our garden in February. Yes, February. Gosh, hard to believe that January is over already. Seems like we just celebrated Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and all those wonderful holidays. And here we are already February, so the year is marching right along. Indeed, indeed. And January was a busy month in our gardens. And what are, what are we going to talk about today for our gardens? What's happening in February? Well, February is also uh, busy, but it's a bit of a transition time because we're still in winter. The weather is still cold or cool, as cold as it gets here in Southern California. And it isn't time for us to make those moves to planting warm season stuff yet. So what we have time to do in February is to get ready for the warm season and to continue to enjoy our cool plants and, in fact, maybe even plant a few more if we're having some holes in our garden. Gotcha. Would we like to talk about vegetables first or would you like to talk about other plants in the garden first? Sure, let's do veggies. I always like to eat, right? So let's talk about things that we can eat. And in the vegetable garden right now in February, uh, if you had planted cool season veggies in the fall or December or even in January, which I did, um, you should be able to harvest uh, some nice lettuces, some snap peas perhaps. But what might have happened to you is we did get some, you know, various warm snaps. And so if you had planted some lettuces, they might have bolted. We also had some rain, so perhaps some of your snap peas got some powdery mildew, and so you might have needed to pull those out, for example. Or, for instance, in my case, um, my broccoli looked great this year, um, but I've harvested it, you know, so the broccoli is done, and I, and I pulled those plants out. So there are some holes in the vegetable garden, perhaps, right now, and you may be wondering, gee, you know, what am I supposed to do now? Do I plant some more seeds? Do I buy some more transplants? Um, what is it that I should be doing? So here's what I recommend for February because it is getting pretty close to when we transition to the warm season, which is in March pretty much. So if you have limited space in your vegetable garden and you have a few holes now, you might not want to fill those up if you're pretty sure you're going to need that space for your tomatoes and peppers come the middle of March. Because if you plant something in February, it might not be ready to harvest, right, by the right. middle or end of March. And you might need to leave it there, and then you might be chomping at the bit saying, oh, darn, I wish I had a place for my tomatoes. So one of the things that you can do is fill any empty spaces right now with lettuces, that you have purchased. So go get six packs of greens, you know, lettuce, spinach, arugula, uh, kale, and you can plant those and you can pretty much start harvesting those plants within a week or two after you plant them because you harvest lettuce by harvesting the outer leaves, right? Mm -hmm. 
So if you buy these transplants that are already pretty decent size, you can start harvesting those outer leaves pretty quickly. And then when the middle or end of March comes and you're ready to plant your tomatoes or peppers or other warm season veggies, you can harvest that entire plant, the whole lettuce plant, whatever is left at that point, you know, and then you're harvesting a whole you know, head, so to speak, of lettuce, uh, a romaine or butter leaf or whatever, you know, kind of lettuce you planted. You know, Tina, this is so good to know because so many times I've been so excited. I wanted to get a little bit more winter vegetables in and I'd plant them. And then a month later, they're not ready. And now I want to plant my tomatoes and my warm season vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes it's better just to wait and let it go for a while. Yeah, and, uh, you know, some people may not have that problem. If they have a lot of space, you know, they can still have plenty of room for tomatoes and peppers. But most of us, I know I do my veggie garden, gardening in three raised beds. So I have to really be kind of aware of what's going on in those three raised beds so that I can time having at least one of those beds available for my, you know, all-time favorite summer vegetable, tomatoes, right? Well, that's what we all garden for is to get those homegrown tomatoes. So, so you want to make sure you've got space for, for your tomatoes. But it's, it's not too late, though, to plant those winter veggies. So if you have places for it, definitely do. Now, um, would you plant them from seed right now, or would you plant them from the six-packs? Good question. So if you uh, have space where you know you can allow the plants to be for eight weeks or so, then you could consider doing lettuce and carrots and radishes and peas from seed because they're going to need about eight weeks to come to maturity. If you do the math though and you know that eight weeks is going to put you to the end of March, middle of, of April and you're like, no, I don't, I want to have something else in that space at that time of year, then don't plant from seed go ahead and plant from six packs, um, particularly, as I said, lettuce, because it's a quick harvest. You, you can harvest that, those lettuce leaves you know, almost immediately after you plant the six packs. If you choose to plant cool season veggies like broccoli or cauliflower, just be aware that those take quite a while to form those nice heads of broccoli. So if you plant some broccoli even from six packs in February, you're not going to be able to harvest that probably until the end of, um, you know, I would say mid-April-ish or so. So just be sure you're putting it in a place that you're okay with it hanging out there. Well, you have two different issues going on. You have an issue of now I want to get my tomatoes in and my broccoli's not done. Right. And then you also have an issue if you live farther inland, it could be really warm and your broccoli could start bolting. Absolutely. That is the other problem. So... I live, you know, not next, right next to the coast in Irvine here. I'm, I'm right next to UCI, so any of our UCI listeners, you know, I'm right there with you. Um, so we're pretty fortunate in that it doesn't get hot here very early because we still get that coastal overcast that comes in. But I know you live inland in Orange, and so you can get, if we get, you know, a nice warm snap in April or May, um, your broccoli, for instance, if you had broccoli, if you didn't pick it on the right day, it could say... It will bolt so <laughs> fast. Trust me, I know how fast it can bolt. It doesn't have any patience whatsoever on warm summer days. Exactly. So if you're gone for a weekend and you had broccoli that was almost ready to harvest, 
you might come back four days later, as you know, and have nice little yellow flowers, which are really pretty, but that's not really want, what we want. So, um, so yeah, so you have to think about where you live, and you have to think about the space that you want to use for your warm season veggies and make sure that that space is going to be available when you're ready to plant the warm season stuff. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, that is such a good thing to know because so many of us just get carried away with wanting to grow and then we don't have the space and then it's, do we let the plants grow? Do we tear them out? And then if you tear them out, it's like you spend all that time growing them and if you let them grow, you can't get your tomatoes in the ground. Yeah, it's, it is a bit of a catch-22, but the other thing that is always a good fallback position is to, is to remember that you can always add containers to your garden, right? So even though I have my three raised beds to do veggies, if there's a tomato that I just decide I have to have, I can plant it in a pot. And then I can have you know a tomato that I plant a little earlier or a little later um, that isn't in my raised bed area. So do remember that you can also, you know, do the pot thing. And if you want to plant some more lettuce right now because you love lettuce, but you don't want to take up your space in your vegetable garden, get a nice big wide pot or a wine barrel and, you know, do a crop of lettuce in there. And then you're not using up the, the space that you want for your warm season veggies. And then you can take the time to get ready for your new crop that you're going to be putting in. Yeah, because that's, that's the other thing is soil prep before you plant uh, the changeover in crops uh, really is probably the most important thing, as you and I both know. You don't just want to yank out the lettuce and plop in a tomato. You want to you know, yank out the winter stuff. You want to pour a nice layer of soil amendment, an organic soil amendment, homemade compost if you have it, or store-bought bagged compost, which is often labeled garden soil. Um, it's not really soil. It's composted organic plant stuff. But you want to add, you know, two to three to four inches of that and your organic fertilizer and chop that in, mix it in really well with a cultivator before you plant those tomatoes, peppers, green beans, and so on, so that you get them in a really healthy, nutritious environment. So it's time-consuming, too. So if you're trying to push the plants to the very last minute, but you also have to give some time to cultivate your soil before you start the next crop. Yeah, I'll tell you a rule that I that I now make myself um, follow, <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I am such a plant hog when I go to the nursery. And oh, I'm horrible. <laughs> it's like putting a kid in a candy store. <laughs> and, you know, so you always want to buy so much stuff. And if I do that before my soil is ready, I end up killing half of the stuff I buy because I don't get it in the ground soon enough. I do the same. It's happened to me. I get so excited. I want it. And it's like, oh, and I can get the soil ready. But it takes more. always takes more time than what I think it takes to get ready. And if I'm not diligent, I could have those little little guys with little hard little root balls or I could, they're wilted and they're just not as a great shape if I just waited and buy it after my exactly. soil. Exactly. And so that's my new rule for myself now is... Uh, one weekend, um, I can con my husband into helping me dig up the soil, and we just do that. We just dig up the soil, put the soil amendment in, the fertilizer, get it all chopped up, raked smooth, ready to go. And then the next weekend, 
or the next week, I get to go buy the plants. But I just tell myself, you can't go to the nursery until that soil's ready. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, we're, we're, we're master gardeners, and we, all, we fall into that all the time. It is so hard not to get so excited and be like a little kid and say, I want this now. Exactly. And, and I think you were telling me the date. What's the date of the big Fullerton plant sale? I believe it is March 20th. Right. Tell us about the Fullerton plant sale, Tina. Well, I I haven't um, gotten this year's information yet, but in general, my experience from previous years is that they have just all of these great choices of tomatoes and peppers and warm season plants for your veggie garden. And then in addition, there's just all sorts of other decorative plants that you might want to plant in the springtime, as well as there are vendors who sell, you know, various garden tools and knickknacks and so on and so forth. So it's a really fun kind of a fair swap meet. Wouldn't you describe oh, it kind of that way? I tell you, I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm like a little kid in this candy store. They have hundreds of tomatoes to choose from. And you could actually go on, um, look up Fullerton Arboretum, and I believe it's called Vegapalooza. And you could check it out, and it's just fun. It's, but it's hard to stay within the size of your garden when you see all these tomatoes. Because you have so many tomatoes to choose from. It's just, oh my goodness. And it's, you know, small tomatoes, large tomatoes, brown tomatoes, yellow tomatoes, red tomatoes, everything you could ever want. So if you like tomatoes, that might be something you want to check out. It's at the Fullerton Arboretum in March. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's in March, which is when you want to be sure that you have space in your veggie garden to plant those tomatoes and other summer veggies. So. If you plan, plan on going, think about the weekend before is the time to get your garden ready so when you go there, you'll be ready to take them home and plant them. Absolutely, yeah. Put it on the calendar. You've got to reserve that weekend before. Absolutely. So anyway, I think that brings us um, up to date on the veggie garden. Let's talk a little bit now about the color in our garden. Yes, it's February. What what do we do? It's it's after Christmas and before summer and it's the it's kind of the same story as the vegetables, right? It's it's too cold to start planting anything that's a you know, quote warm season flower like the typical zinnias or petunias or marigolds. It's it's too cold for those yet and and you probably wouldn't won't be able to find them in the nursery anyway. What you will be able to find in the nursery would be the cool season plants, the petunias, not petunias, pansies, another P word, <laughs> the pansies, the stock, um, Iceland poppies, the things that like the cooler weather, snapdragons. And so it's okay to go ahead and continue to plant those in February, and they will actually continue to bloom probably, you know, until June um, if, if you get them in the ground now. So, it, but again, where you live, you know, if you got a heat spell in May, then um, they may be, you know, finished a little earlier. But you'll still get, I think, a good, you know, bout of your money's worth um, if you plant those cool season flowers right now in February. In March, you know, if you waited to March and you were still planting them, you probably would only get, you know, two months worth out of them. But if you plant them now, you'll probably get a little bit more. And you know, and I don't know about other people, but about this time of year, my garden kind of looks a little bit sad if I don't give it some help. And giving it a little bit of color just perks everything up. It does. It just, it takes those winter blues away, I think. So um, I 
have to get out in the garden personally after the holidays. And so January, February are actually kind of really fun times for me to plant in the garden. And I love to just add a little bit more color because it is still winter and, and we want to remind ourselves that spring's right around the corner. And we're so lucky where we live that we can bring a little spring even in February. Wonderful. You know, that brings up another subject. Uh, Tina, when do we fertilize? Because it's kind of, it's not summer, it's not winter. Do we fertilize our plants now? Yeah, good question. So the general rule of thumb for fertilizing is you want to fertilize when plants are actively growing. So if you pruned your roses last month in January, um, sometime in February you're going to start seeing them send out you know, that new, those brand new little leaves out of the canes that you pruned. But you want to wait for the roses to fertilize them until the leaves have fleshed out a bit. You know, when they first come out, they're kind of that reddish color. They're kind of tightly wound together. And the, the earth, the ground is still kind of cold. So I wait until the leaves have actually unfurled a bit and have turned from that reddish color to the green color before I start fertilizing my roses. That's usually more towards the end of February okay. or March. But again, you know how our weather is. I mean, you hear, you know, we're going to get 80 degree weather one weekend. And so that could mean that your roses will, you know, leaf out much more quickly. So you, you kind of have to play it a little bit by ear based on the weather and what you're seeing in the garden. For sure, you're going to want to fertilize things in March, for sure, because in March, you know, you're going to see all kinds of, of new growth, new leaves, flowers, etc. So March is definitely a great time to fertilize so that at the beginning of the growing season, your plants have those nutrients available to really grow like crazy. But I do tend to fertilize um, some things in February, at, at least towards the latter half of February. And I like to first give the citrus its first little uh, dose of fertilizer in February. You don't want to do it um, in January, generally speaking, because remember, fertilizer is going to encourage that new growth. And if we were to get some frost days, mm -hmm. even those are mm -hmm. those are rare here, we wouldn't want to have new growth hit by frost on the, especially on the citrus, right? So we want the fertilizer to be put on the citrus when we're pretty sure the frost danger is past. And then remember, when you, if you put fertilizer on your citrus, say towards the end of February, well, it takes a while for that fertilizer to be absorbed by the roots and sent up to the growth tips of the tree. So odds are you're not going to get that new fresh growth until sometime in the first part of March. So by then, our frost dates are usually pretty much over. And how about our other uh, fruit trees and avocados? When would, when would we do those? Um, avocados, the same thing as the citrus. For the deciduous fruit trees, you want to wait until you see those. Remember, the, the deciduous fruit trees are sleeping, right? Um, in January, you hopefully prune them and they kind of look dead, right? All the leaves are off of them and they just have nothing happening. Well, sometime in February, they will probably begin to wake up. Depen it depends on the tree. But they'll, when you start seeing that the blossoms come out on your peaches and apricots, apricots are usually earlier than the peaches, um, then it's time, then you know that that tree is waking up. It's going to be uh, needing some nutrients 
to produce fruit, to produce leaves. And so when you see them coming out of their sleep, then it's time to start fertilizing them. And Tina, there's, is there different types of fertilizer? Do you feed the same fertilizer to your vegetables as to your other plants? Or ah, good, you know? great question. Yeah, when, when you go to um, the nursery or to one of the big box you know, retailers and you stand in the fertilizer aisle, I don't know about you, but I almost start to have a panic attack because there's so many different choices, right? And what you need, what everyone needs to learn how to do is to read a fertilizer package label. As you know, there are three numbers on every fertilizer package, and I think we've talked about this in other shows, but because we're approaching spring, let's review it again because we really need to know because spring is a great time to fertilize. And so those three numbers represent the three main nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Nitrogen's the first number, phosphorus is the second number, and potassium's the third number. Nitrogen is what makes the green growth happen. And so if you are getting a lawn fertilizer, obviously you would want that first number to be the biggest number. So you might be looking for something in an organic fertilizer. It might be 854 would be the three numbers. So 8 being the nitrogen number, that's the biggest number. If you are looking for a food that's going to help your plant produce fruit, you're going to want that middle number to be bigger, the phosphorus number. So in that case, you might choose a, you know, 464 kind of fertilizer. If you just don't want to worry about it and that's too complicated for you, you can look for one that says citrus food and put that on your citrus. <laughs> Put that on your citrus, um, uh, or you can look for one that says tomato and vegetable fertilizer, and that you know that's the the fallback position. But even if you're looking for those kinds of descriptions, just challenge yourself to find those three numbers. Sometimes they're really tiny and they're on the back of the package, but when you look at the package and you see those numbers on tomato food, it, it would probably be. Um, you know, maybe four, six, five, or something like that, you'll go, oh, okay, I get it. Tomatoes have fruit, so they need a little bit more phosphorus, not, not, you know, more nitrogen. So then it'll start to make sense to you. You know, and once you know it, you have it forever. Right. It gives you a little bit of liberty when you're looking at, your eyes don't glaze over so much when you're looking at the fertilizer. So there's some really good information here, Tina. And the other thing you can also do, which I often do because... You know, you run out of one kind of fertilizer. You know, the day that you're planting your flowers, all you've got in the cupboard is tomato fertilizer, right? So do you want to stop what you're doing and run back and get fertilizer? Um, no. And are your flowers going to die because you gave them tomato fertilizer? No. <laughs> uh, Poison them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you have to remember is think about it. You know, in order to get a tomato, what do you have to have first? A flower, Right. Right. And so your tomato fertilizer is probably pretty good flower fertilizer, you know. So just start to think that way. Use common sense. And uh, when all else fails and you're not sure whether you're going to be planting veggies or flowers in the next month, get a bag of what's called a balanced complete fertilizer. And usually those numbers are all pretty much the same. So it'll be 555 or, you know, 655 or something like that. And when it's a balanced fertilizer, 
you can pretty much use it on on anything. And it works. And it works. And yeah. it works. You know, yeah. This is something you shouldn't be stressed out about. Gardening is supposed to be fun, but it's also fun if you know the numbers. Yeah, you know, but, it, it helps. But don't you. stress out yeah. over it. And and the the best thing to do is remember plants can't read. So <laughs> if you don't tell them, I won't tell them. <laughs> But, I love it. Can yeah. you also tell us the difference between organic fertilizer versus synthetic fertilizer? Yes, um, great question. The synthetic fertilizers are basically that means man-made. So we use the term synthetic or chemical fertilizer kind of interchangeably. So it just means that it's man-made um, and it doesn't come from an organic source. Organic fertilizers, on the other hand, come from either plants or animals. They come from a an organic, um, or or sometimes uh, rocks. You know, minerals mm-hmm. will be included. So that so they're coming from something that hasn't been manufactured. I mean, it's processed by man to get it into the fertilizer form, but it originates from a natural organic source. So what's the difference? Well, they all contain those nutrients that we were just talking about, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And your plant doesn't know the difference if it gets nitrogen from an organic fertilizer or nitrogen from a synthetic fertilizer. To the plant, it's still nitrogen. But what usually is the case with synthetic fertilizers is that they have higher concentrations. So remember when I was mentioning the numbers uh, before and I was saying numbers like six, eight, four. Yes. Well, if you're that's for an organic fertilizer. Those numbers are the percentage of that nutrient that is in that fertilizer. So six percent, eight percent, whatever. When you get a synthetic fertilizer, you'll notice the numbers are much higher. So the numbers could be ten, fifteen, ten, or you know, fifteen, fifteen, fifteen. And that means that those, on a percentage basis, there's a lot more of that nutrient in that product. So you would think to yourself, well, what the heck? I'm going to buy synthetic. You know, I'm getting more, more of that nutrient. Isn't that a good thing? Well, remember, you can always have too much of a good thing, right? For instance, coffee. Coffee's great. We love our cup of coffee in the morning. But if we have three cups of coffee, one after the other, not such a good thing, right? And so you have to be more careful when you're using synthetic fertilizers to really follow the package directions, not use too much and not use it too frequently because it can burn your plants and it can actually uh, kill or uh, cause to decline the beneficial organisms in your soil. So it's it's a personal choice whether you choose to use synthetic fertilizers or organic fertilizers. Synthetic fertilizers are also uh, sometimes made from petroleum products. Um, so, you know, we're using that resource to make these fertilizers. They also, because they're more concentrated, can uh, be washed away because there's more of a concentration, right? And so you can have runoff, and then that fertilizer gets into our waterways. And, of course, then, you know, we have issues of algae blooms from, you know, the fertilizer being in the water. So, again, it's a personal choice. Um, You should use any kind of fertilizer according to the package directions. Now, here some people think a little is good, a lot will be a lot better. And when you look at the synthetic fertilizer, it might not look like you're putting that much on. 
So what would happen if I just said, well, we'll just double it? If you double it and you have a plant uh, that is sensitive to it, um, your plant's leaves will look like they were burned. They, they will just they will turn brown and you know they can fall off and, and if it was a young plant it can kill the plant because it just won't have the uh, resources to fight off that it, it's basically poisoning you know I mean anything is a poison you can kill yourself with water if you drink too much right well it's the same thing with a plant if so follow directions absolutely and if anything follow directions don't put on more than what it says they'd love to sell you more but they know you would kill your plant or harm your plant in some way so just follow directions and you'll get the desired results. Absolutely. And, and as I said, the choosing of the organic versus the synthetic is a personal choice. What the organic fertilizers do is they are much friendlier to your soil and they um, uh, encourage those beneficial organisms in the soil. They, they are not detrimental to those beneficial organisms. And so it also allows your, they're slower acting than the synthetic fertilizers, but they also um, have a, a more steady effect rather than, again, kind of the coffee analogy. You know, you get that boost of energy from drinking that coffee, but then a couple hours later, you know, you have that letdown. Whereas perhaps if you had uh, something that wasn't, you know, quite such a, strong drink it might give you a longer lasting source of energy so for me in particular you know my personal choice is that I, I use organic products including fertilizer when I'm growing food that I'm going to eat and then I'm not um, as particular for my you know potted plants and stuff like in my indoor plants you know I use the you know, liquid synthetic fertilizers and that sort of thing. Because yeah. it doesn't, there's no runoff. There's you know, no I'm runoff. watering my pots and so I feel pretty comfortable that I'm not going to harm anything by using that synthetic fertilizer in that situation. Question for you, Tina. I tend to go pretty organic and I don't seem to have a bug problem. Is there any correlation to that? There could be. Um, here's, here's the deal. Remember we said that the synthetic fertilizers are more fast-acting and stronger? And so what happens is they can really stimulate new growth pretty quickly, right? And you and I both know that one of the times that we're most pl plagued with aphids in our rose gardens is when they get that new flush of growth, right? Because mm -hmm. the aphids love those brand new leaves and buds. So when you get that new flush of growth, it attracts insects and pests and so if you have um, a big new flush of growth from strong you know synthetic fertilizer action maybe that's attracting you know more more insects um, also when you use organic fertilizers your your plants are of kind of a steady diet as opposed to like a you know, like people when they yo-yo diet, you know, mm -hmm. you, you gain weight, you lose weight, you gain weight, you lose weight. Well, when you have that nice steady diet for your plants with the um, steadier organic fertilizer, longer lasting, then you may end up seeing uh, perhaps a bit sturdier plant because it's not going through, you know, some ups and downs. Uh, because I don't know about you, but I'm not the most diligent person. I don't keep a diary and say, okay, I have to fertilize on this exact date. So my, my poor plants sometimes are a little bit on their own. So if you tend not to be so precise, 
Right. It might be better to go organic because it releases over a longer period of time and it's more of a gentle release. It's more of a gentle release, yeah, absolutely. So again, like I said, there's there's pluses and minuses, you know, if if you're, you know, having a wedding event in your yard and you want to make sure your grass is going to be green, you know, two and a half weeks from now, a synthetic fertilizer we'll probably do could it. do that for you, you know, whereas the organic fertilizer you know, wouldn't be showing those instantaneous results. It would it would take longer for those results to show up. The other thing I should mention about organic fertilizers, since we are in February, is organic fertilizers um, don't work as well in cool weather when the soil is cool. They need warm weather for um, the activity to happen um, with the organic fertilizer the uh, beneficial soil organisms that work with the organic fertilizer are not very active when the weather is cool. And so if you are using organic fertilizers this month, don't be surprised if you don't see a huge effect from them. But of course, if we get those 80 degree, you know, weeks, then, then they will work just fine. So, but that's just one thing to know about the organic fertilizers is that they're less active in cooler weather. Gotcha, Tina. Well, this is Katrina, and we're you are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Now, we're back with Tina, and Tina, there's a lot of questions we have here, and I thought I would share right now our website and our hotline number. Oh, yeah, because we want people to know you are listening to University of California Cooperative Extension Master Gardeners. That's who we are. And although this, we think, is a pretty cool show, we have lots of other information. And Katrina um, is reminding me that we need to let you know where to go to get that info. Our website for Master Gardeners is www.uccemg.com, and you'll find lists of where we're speaking, garden events that we are putting on or assisting with, and gosh, because spring's just around the corner, you're really going to want to bookmark this website so that you know where the garden shows are, where the talks are, etc., and then if you have your own personal question, you have a particular issue that's happening in your garden and you want a personal answer, we have a way for you to get that. You can email our hotline, and the hotline email address is hotline at uccemg.com. So please feel free to email any of your questions there and a master gardener will personally research the answer to your question and email it back to you. And it is free. There's no charge to it. It's what we do. It is. We're, we are volunteers trained by the university, and that's what we love to do is help share our love of gardening and answer all your gardening questions. Another question for you back to the website, Tina, just segueing a little bit. Is there a charge for these seminars that are put on? No, not for the ones that Master Gardeners put on. Um, we uh, That's part of our mission is that we don't uh, charge or, or participate in, in um, you know, shows or, or so on and so forth that, that do charge. So any 
talks that master gardeners give are, are always free. Uh, unless there's a, a project, a hands-on project, there could be a small materials charge if, if there was a you know, something that you were going to be planting to take home or something like that. Now, I know the Great Park does these wonderful, wonderful lectures. When will they be starting back up again? I'm so glad you're giving this a plug. So, um, as you know, Tina is also the chair of the Farm and Food Lab uh, garden, demonstration garden at the Great Park for Master Gardeners. And it's a wonderful demonstration garden uh, focused primarily on growing good food. And we hold garden workshops this year. Instead of just doing it in the spring and fall, I'm happy to announce that we're going to just have monthly garden workshops. They actually start um, February, and we will have them every month. And you can go to our website and find out the exact dates. They're always at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And our website again is? UCCEMG.com. Okay. I want to do a little plug for this one because at the Great Park they have a wonderful demonstration garden. We've been talking about planting and what to do and how to do it. And if you want to go and get inspired, just go over there. It is a beautiful, each garden it has a theme to it. They're taken care of by master gardeners and it is a delight to bring your family, your children, your friends and just throw a stroll through the garden and get ideas. And there's master gardeners there to answer your questions too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a pretty cool place if I do say so myself. <laughs> I'm glad you do because everybody that goes there thinks so too. Oh. And Tina is the lead on that program, and it's just a wonderful program, and it serves the community. And I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it. And oh. it's just a really beautiful way that the master gardeners have given back to the community. Oh, thanks, Katrina. Um, also, there are other programs other than the garden programs out there now this year um, that you can go to the Orange County Great Park website and find out about those. There uh, are some cooking classes that go on out there. There's story time in the garden for children, some children's garden workshops. So there's lots of reasons to visit the garden. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Tina. Sure. Well, where were we? We were talking about um, fertilizing and our garden, and um, have, have we covered that subject pretty well? Yeah, I think I think we did uh, finish up on fertilizer. I think the other thing maybe we should talk about in February is uh, weeds oh, and oh. pests. Oh, so oh. all of the things we don't like about gardening, um, we should probably talk <laughs> about that too. Uh, not as much fun as planting, but um, yeah, because February is getting hopefully some rain and there there was some rain in December and January and of course our hills just look gorgeous right now they're all nice and green uh, but one of the reasons they're green is because a lot of weeds have germinated right 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 <laughs> green so, weeds yeah yeah so we love the green if we don't look too closely and and it's the same thing in our yard if you walk out in your yards you're probably going to see um, some weeds germinating so the best thing to do is to catch weeds early, like anything else. It, it's better if you catch them early, and you can either hand pull them, uh, particularly easy when we've had some rain because the soil then is nice and soft and they just plop right out. So it's a great time to weed uh, a few days after it's rained when the soil isn't too soggy anymore, but it's still nice and loose. So do try and keep up with the weeding. If you don't, 
as the days get warmer, the weeds are really going to proliferate. So. Oh, you mean like growing like a weed? Growing like a weed, yeah. And then the other thing that you can do after you do your hand weeding or with a hoe is throw down a couple bags of uh, soil amendment and use it as mulch. I can't tell you how much back-breaking labor that saves if you mulch the ground. If you put down a couple inches of mulch, what it does is it buries the weed seeds, blocks the sun, and they can't germinate. So after you've weeded, spend a, you know, a few bucks on a couple of bags of, like I said, soil amendment is what I like to use in my flower beds. Um, if you have just beds of shrubbery, of course you could use a mulch like bark chips, but in your flower beds or your vegetable beds, you don't want to use bark chips because you don't want to, you know, get those uh, muddled up into your soil. So do consider mulching after you weed. It will save you a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> so. And do weed. This is a great time to weed. It's like not maybe not what you're wanting to do, but it saves so much. Those little babies, if they grow up and they have more babies, it's just more of a mess in your yard. Absolutely. And if you just could get rid of them now, you're going to save yourself a lot of problem in a few months. Absolutely. And then uh, talking about other pests, uh, of course, as the you know weather starts to warm up and as we've gotten some rain, we, we have perfect conditions for pest proliferation, especially my favorite pest, snails, right? Oh. So we've gotten these nice rains, the soil's nice and moist, it's not hot yet, and they want to have a party. And they want to have a party. And Life is good. Let's go have more babies. We we're going to lay eggs. We're going to just be all over your garden. And it's funny. In February, I'll, I'll say, oh, yeah, not too many snails. But they're tricking you because they're breeding like crazy. And then come, you know, March, you've just got snails uh, all over the place. So, so what can we do? What can we do, Tina? Well... What we can do is, first we can clean up, so I don't know about you, but I know you have a lot of trees in your yard, and of course I have these sycamores, which I have a love-hate relationship with because they're beautiful trees, but man, do they have a lot of leaf litter. And so if you don't keep the leaf litter raked up, then that gives more places for the snails to breed, right, because they love to crawl under things and proliferate. So one of the things you can do is, you know, break under the shrubs and around the uh, trees in your yard and just get all of the litter and hiding places thrown away so that they don't have too many hiding places. And then, of course, the other thing you can do is put out bait, the snail bait. Um, there are, you know, the, um, the organic one uh, is, the iron-based one is, is the one that, that I, I like to use because it's not... Um, you know, as poisonous, of course, anything if you ingest it can be poisonous, but um, it's not as poisonous um, as, as the metaldehyde one. So snail bait, you can also use snail traps, and especially if you have kids, fun, fun traps to make are cutting up paper towel tubes and, you know, scattering those through the garden, and then the snails hide inside of them, and you and the kids can go on a scavenger hunt and find the paper towel tubes and see who has the most snails inside. You know, there's all and kinds it, of and ways. It worked. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> now, now people are going to say paper towel tubes. What do you have to do to them? 
Nothing. Just cut it. I cut them in half, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I take a, an empty paper towel tube, or if you saved any of your ones from all that Christmas wrapping paper, you can mm-hmm. use those too. And I just cut them into, oh, what, about seven-inch lengths or so. And you just put them out in the garden, and you put them there, and they will come? Yeah. Especially if you kind of lay them in a shady area, like under a shrub or something. And now, why would they go into that? They like to be um, protected because, you know, they dry out so you know, mm-hmm. their their bodies are so moist, they don't want to dry out. So, I don't know, They maybe they just think it's cozy. But I think it's mostly to, to stay in an area where they're, they don't dry out and get hit by the sun. So, you can also do it with, you know, a rock and a, and a piece of wood and, you know, lean the piece of wood against the rock so that there's a little, like, lean-to area for them to crawl under. A nice, cool, and cozy place. They feel safe. Absolutely. And they could have their babies and... And then, of course, there's always, you know, my husband's favorite, which is you pour beer in the plastic cups and you put those around and the beer attracts the snails and they climb in and they drown a very happy death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does that work? Yeah, it does. Okay, yeah. and how, look, tell me about, I haven't tried that one. Do you have it? Do you cut yeah. the plastic cup down or do you dig no, a hole in you the just, ground? No, you can dig a hole, You just a little scoop of a hole. I just use those short plastic clear cups, you know, mm-hmm. the ones that are only like, what, three inches tall or okay. whatever. And then you fill them like, you know, halfway with beer. Kind of a waste of beer, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, the. Different kind of beer party, huh? Yeah, there you go. Get the, get the you know, the plain label beer, the really cheap beer. And, uh, oh my God. Anyway, then you just fill those, you know, halfway with beer, about an, you know, inch, inch and a half of beer. And the the beer, the yeast, and I think it's the yeast in the beer attracts the, the snails and they climb up and over and they fall in and they drown and kind of fun to my kids when they were young would, would go out and count how many were in the in the cups every morning and they thought that was great fun. <laughs> oh, hysterical. Yeah. And that's another thing, you take care of them now, you won't have as much problem because what do they do to your garden if you don't? Tell they, us what they eat do. everything. Yes. Are they discriminatory at all? They just like to eat. They probably like to eat the stuff you like the most. Yeah, they they eat. You know, there's some things they don't like as much as other things, but by and large, they seem to eat everything. a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, if you do it now in February and March, then you'll have way less snails because obviously if you trap them and get rid of them, then they aren't there to breed. So you have less eggs being laid. So a lot of what you're telling us is making our life actually easier in the long run. It's yeah. a bit of work now, but you do it now, and then your gardening endeavors are much more enjoyable and easier, and you have more time to spend in it instead of working in it. Yeah, you can think of February. That's a good point, Katrina. Think of February as kind of your prep month. You know, February is the time when you can do things that are going to make your life easier in the garden later on, like get rid of some of the snails, prepare your soil for planting in March. Um, Also keep an eye out for, for, you know, the first appearance of other insects, aphids, the first appearance of any diseases. If you've got signs of powdery mildew or other fungal diseases, Now's the time to go ahead and, and spray for those. So let's talk about aphids and powdery mildew. What do we spray? You want to spray uh, an antifungal type of spray, and uh, that th- there are you know several different things. Um, the best thing to do is to probably go to your to a nursery that has knowledgeable nursery personnel. Mm-hmm. 
And we should probably maybe do a show on that in the future about um, sprays for both insects and diseases. Oh, I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, there's copper fungicides. So copper, which is a mineral, obviously, uh, is put into a spray, and that is a fungicide. It when it, you spray it on a plant and it coats the leaves or the or the branches, it provides an environment that is not hospitable for the fungal spores to proliferate. So you want to use it kind of at the beginning or in advance of seeing a lot of those infestations. If you wait until a plant is covered with powdery mildew or black spot, the fungicides are not as effective because um, what they're doing is they're, they're kind of stopping them from starting to grow. But if they're already in place and growing like mad, they're not very effective. So when do you put it on? Uh, February is a good time to start looking at your um, plants. And, and if you, I believe we talked about um, dormant spraying last month in January. And in January, if you used some of these fungicides as a dormant spray, then you were getting, you know, a jump on it. But you can do it in February if you did not do it in okay. January to try and prevent those fungal diseases from getting a foothold. Excellent, excellent. How much oh. time? Do we have a lot of time left? I haven't been paying attention. Oh, we have about 10 minutes left. 10 minutes left. Oh, good, because there is another thing that I'd like to talk about um, for our lawns. And one of the things that you can do in February is apply what are called pre-emergence to your lawn. Those are products that will help prevent uh, some of the weed germination in your lawn. So... If you put these pre-emergence on your lawn in February when those weed seeds are kind of dormant, they're just hanging out, but you know, once the weather, the warmer mm -hmm. weather comes, they're going to sprout. Um, February is the time to do that for your lawn, and that way you have, hopefully, you know, less dandelions and, and other oh, of those yes. weeds that you don't really want to have in your lawn. So, so consider doing a pre-emergent application and we could also go to the nursery and get that. And get that, yeah. Just the, If you tell them you, know, you want to apply a pre-emergent to your lawn, they'll know what you're talking about and they can recommend the specific product for you. Also, uh, you can fertilize your cool season lawn this month. A uh, cool season lawn is uh, like the fescue type lawns. Mm. And they're called cool season lawns because they like to grow in cool weather. And so since the weather is still cool... They are actively growing, so it's a good time to fertilize them. Your warm season lawns uh, will not be very active yet in February, so you probably will wait till March to fertilize your warm season lawns. And then those, those grow and want fertilizer, you know, through the, the warm months. Now, can you have lawns that are both? No. Okay. I mean, not generally speaking. Not you would you would plant either a warm season lawn or a cold okay. season lawn. And could you put that pre-emergent on at the same time as you're putting your fertilizer on? I don't know that there are any products that have both, but there could be. I mean, could you go buy one and do one one day and do one the other day? Yeah, I don't. I think so. Actually, I I guess I should look that up. I I don't know that. That's a good question. Okay. And but they're generally two completely different things, so I don't know that there would be a reason you couldn't do that. Um, 
The other thing that we should talk about with um, lawns is we have gotten a little bit of water in the form of rain this year. Hallelujah. And hopefully we will get more during the month of February. And so do continue to monitor your sprinklers. If we get rain, go ahead out to your automatic sprinkler controller and flip that off switch. You do not want your sprinklers to be coming on and basically wasting that water and overwatering. You know, this is one of my big things. I love, I, I, I have a yard and it's amazing how much I can save by watching the 10 day weather report. And I adjust my sprinklers and it really keeps my water bill down. It's really, it's amazing how much you can save in the winter time if you just look and then adjust it. You don't need to water as much during the winter time when you do water. Days are shorter, it's cooler, it's not as hot. And if you just spend a little bit of time adjusting your sprinklers and then learning to turn them off, you know, I'll look and go, oh, should I water today? And I go, oh, we're going to get rain in two days. Why should I water? And I just turn it off. And it, it's amazing how much I can save on my water bill. Yeah, you're you are very diligent, and I wish I wish people were more diligent. And and I know people don't have a lot of time, but certainly all of us, when we hear rain is coming or or it actually has rain, it only takes a second as you're walking out to get into your car. Usually our controllers are in our garage, and you know all you have to do is flip that toggle switch and shut off the sprinkler. So. That's certainly something we all can do. It's easy. Yeah. I mean, I might be a little bit more diligent than most people, but just turning off the sprinklers when you know rain, rain is coming is just huge. And we're in this drought, and every little bit that we each one of us can do to help out is a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and hope, hopefully we'll get more rain. But if not, you know, that this drought is still going to be going strong. So we all need to do what we can to, to conserve water. And, and your lawn will appreciate it too. There's, you know, lawns don't like to be, or any plant doesn't like to be waterlogged. So uh, if you, we got a nice good rain and then you irrigate on top of that, it is not good for your lawn. It gets too much water. It eliminates the oxygen from the roots. You can have rot problems um, in different plants who, who are waterlogged. So absolutely we want to try and you know, and it's also nice when it rains to flush all the salt that's naturally in our oh. water out of our our trees and our, our, I mean, out of our ground and just let the earth, you know, it just needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially here in Irvine, um, for our Irvine listeners, we, many of us have reclaimed water mm. irrigating our yards. If your home is newer, odds are your outside irrigation uses reclaimed water and that is a little higher in salt than potable water and so it's especially lovely to get that rain to flush those salts out of the soil for us um so so yeah let's all keep our fingers crossed that we get more good rain (laughs) let's hear it for the rain hey tina we have about five more minutes what else would you like to talk about well you know one thing i think i should mention because it reminded me when i was talking about my plethora of sycamore leaves that that I have that have to get raked every day is that this can also be a great time if people have not ever composted before to start composting because if you have these trees that are dropping a ton of leaves or if you're being a good little soldier like we talked about and raking up 
the debris so that the snails and, and other insects don't have places to hide, you're going to have a fair amount of plant debris. And if you have a lawn, and most of us still have lawns, um, and you're mowing the lawn, you always have grass clippings. Well, all of those things are great components for making compost. They're wonderful. And if you want to find out more about it, you can go to our website, which is uccemg.com. There's so many different subjects that we've talked about today that are on our website that you could just, how could I remember everything that Tina said? We don't have to remember it all because you can go to our website and check it out too. And particularly for composting, there's a great video on composting on the website. And uh, I think we may be doing a show on that later because that's a, a very, or have we done one in the past? We have done one a couple months ago. That's right. Mean we will do it again because people liked it. Right. And we'll probably be playing it again because there's a lot of good information in that. Yeah, it's, you can never have too much homemade compost. It's like black gold, great for your garden and a great way to recycle waste on site. And then the last thing I'll mention um, for February, just a reminder to people, if you are talking about lawns and, and how much water they use and, and us not having a lot of water during these drought conditions, if you are considering planting native plants in your yard instead of water thirsty plants, maybe even pulling out your lawn and converting that to a native plant garden, February is still a good month to plant native plants. We typically advise doing it in the, the fall. I believe we talked about it mm -hmm. last fall. But February is still a good time to do it. You don't want to do it too much later than February because you would like those plants to get settled in the ground while we still have the cooler weather and they aren't too stressed by the heat because, remember, our native plants actually go dormant in the summer when it's hot and they have their active growing time in the winter or right now. So if you haven't planted native plants but you want to, then now is still a good time to do it. And we have a great resource here, Tree of Life Nursery, down in San Juan Capistrano, which is a grower of native plants as well as a nursery that's open to the public. So if you're considering doing it, you can visit their website or take a drive down there. It's a great place. Wonderful. I think we've come just about to the end of our hour. Tina, thank you so much. It's always wonderful talking to you, and thank you for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom and experience. I appreciate it, and I'm sure everybody else does. Oh, it's fun to get to yammer about gardening for a whole hour. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is t uh, Tina and Katrina, and we thank you for joining us in In the Garden by Master Gardeners. We are at you are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. And one last time, the opinion expressed on the show do not necessarily uh, re represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show, go to KUCI.org. Thank you for joining us in the garden with Master Gardeners.